Have you become so obsessed about catching your spouse in a lie or sexual sin that your health, concentration, family relationships, and productivity at work are suffering? Hi, I'm Kim Pullen, founder of Hope for Spouses, and welcome to this episode of Lunchtime Live. For those of you who are new to our ministry, I started Hope for Spouses about four, four and a half years ago when my husband and I were reconciled after a four-year separation due to his adultery. And during those four years, I focused on myself. I uh, created a safe uh, community of others that surrounded me to support me. And I focused on the scriptures and my relationship with God. And God took care of my husband. He humbled him. He brought him to a state of repentance. And we have an incredible marriage now. The trust has been completely restored. And we are living our dream. But I started Hope for Spouses because I really recognize that there are so many ladies out there who struggle with the same thing that I struggled with. And, and one of those was clearly striving so hard to try to get my husband to change and repent, to fix my marriage, to the neglect of my own spiritual, mental, and emotional health. So I really wanted today to focus on this this problem, you know, our, the, big, the big thing that we have kind of hanging over our head, this cloud, this backpack we have on our back. And because what happens is when we have a broken marriage, it literally becomes the center of our lives. We may even have children and other needs going on, but this brokenness in our marriage, because it's so fundamental to, you know, a lot of times who we identify ourselves at, that this becomes the center of our life. And it's, it's kind of like we're sliding down a steep, slippery cliff. And we keep trying to fight to get back to the top and we can't seem to get a foothold or, or if we do get a foothold, it caves under us and we slide further back from the top of where we're trying to get. And, and in this process, something devastating happens. We become obsessed or even addicted to figuring out our unrepentant spouse or how we can fix our marriage. And then you know what happens? we don't heal and it's it's pretty much why a doctor doesn't operate on themselves you know we're we're not objective we can't be in the middle and try to fix it at the same time so we've got to really focus on our own healing and that's not selfish in fact in mark 12 30 through 31 when jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was he said the first is to love god with all your heart soul mind and strength but he said the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, you can't give from an empty cup. So if you're not taking care of your own needs, you have nothing to give anybody else. So if you really want your marriage to, to be different, to work, you know, if you really want it to glorify God, guess what? You've got to focus on the only person you can focus on, and that's yourself. So we're going to look at 25 reasons, biblical reasons, why we can do that. So let's get started. Number one, God is everywhere. In Jeremiah 23, 23 through 24, it says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So, God is everywhere. He sees everything. We don't, we don't have to be watching out. We don't have to be, you know, checking everywhere our spouse is. God is 
everywhere. He covers it. He covers the gamut. Number two, he sees every step. In Job 34, 21 through 22, it says, his eyes are on the ways of mortals. He sees their every step. There is no deep shadow, no utter darkness where evildoers can hide. So every single step we take, good, bad, neutral, God sees every single thing. We don't have to go hunting for it. God already sees it. Number three, everything is exposed to God. So in Luke 8, 8, 9, I'm sorry, Luke 8, 17, it says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Everything gets exposed. God sees it. All right, number four, all sins are on stage before God. What do I mean by that? Psalm 98 says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And all the sin that we're so worried about exposing for our husband so that we know it's there, you know, scouting them down, following them on GPS, you know, where are they, where are they, where are they? You know what? All the things that they're doing are on stage right in front of God. He sees all of it. He's carrying that himself. He is very aware of that. Number five, God actively uncovers everything. So not only is it laid before him, nothing is going to get concealed. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So it doesn't matter what sins, lies, cover up plans that our unrepentant partner is trying to devise to so you don't find out what's going on. God sees it all. It's all there right in front of him. Number six, we are accountable for every single word we say. In Luke 12, 3, it says, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. So it doesn't matter. I mean, these, these arguments that may go on in, at your home, your husband says this, he doesn't say this, he makes you feel like you're crazy, et cetera, et cetera, that, that we are accountable to God for every single word. And it will be announced to the rooftops. You know, sometimes our spouses get so obsessed over, you can't tell people that, you can't tell people this. You know, why are you saying this? Oh, you're slamming me or whatever. You, you can't talk about what's going on in our marriage. But the scriptures clearly say that all the stuff that's talked about what's going on in your living room, in your bedroom, that, that all of that's going to be announced from the rooftops one day. It's all going to come into judgment. Number seven, what are, what are the results of this? That the unrepentant have no relationship with God. They may say, uh, uh, you know, I know God. I know the Bible. You know, what we're doing isn't wrong or what I'm doing isn't wrong. You know, that God's not going to do this or whatever. And, but it says in Isaiah 59 too, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Now, of course, in this particular passage and throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was particularly uh, admonishing of those who worshiped other idols. That was God's biggest concern. 
And when our husband is in sexual sin, that's what they're doing is they're worshiping themselves. They're worshiping the world. They're worshiping sex as a way to give them identity, give them value, to medicate their pain instead of turning to God. Number eight, God doesn't listen to the unrepentant. So it says in Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So if we have, if we have unrepentance, if any of us has unrepentance, if we're holding on to sin, if we're keeping it close to our heart, then basically what we're doing is we're rejecting God. And God says, you know, if you're going to hold on to something else, I, I can't hear what you're saying. You know, I'm not going to acknowledge you until you push that thing away from your heart. Number nine, he says, we reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And so, you know, what you've heard the phrase, it's karma. And it's like, we reap what we sow. It, what goes around comes around. And they think that they can keep running toward their sin. They think that they can be keep emotionally abusing you or gaslighting you or deflecting or whatever. But God is not going to be mocked, you know, and we can't be fooled or deceived that our husband's going to get away with this stuff. He will reap what he sows. Number 10, liars will reap consequences. Proverbs 19.5 says, a false witness will not go unpunished and whoever pours out lies will not go free. That God sees the truth behind all of that. Number 11, purity of marriage is supreme. Now, while marriage is a temporary state, in other words, we weren't married when we got here. We got married while we're here, but in heaven, there is no marriage, but God's expectations for marriage are very high. And so he says in Hebrews 13, four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the uh, adult adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Number 12, our judgments are secondary. In other words, what we think is secondary. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In other words, our spouses may be wanting open marriages. They may be thinking, it's okay for me to have a, per a woman on the side while I do this, or it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with me viewing pornography. And so they may be thinking it's okay. They're justifying it in their mind. It's okay for me. All men do this. All, you know, this is, this is what everybody does. They're justifying it in their mind. But clearly Proverbs says it doesn't really matter if you think it's right or not. Eventually it's going to lead to death. So that's why it's so important. We look at God's standards and not our own. Number 13, obedience is required. It's not enough for us to believe or just attend church. Romans 2, 13 and 16 says, It is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ. In um, Matthew 
Uh, Matthew 7, 21, I'm sorry, 20, 20, 23, uh, it talks about how all these people who were religious were saying, oh, I'm doing, you know, I did all this and I did all this and all this, and they're calling Jesus Lord. And he says, away from me. I never knew you. In other words, we can be very involved in a church. We can be leading in some kind of capacity, but it doesn't make us right with God. God says that obedience, a connection, an intimate relationship with God, with Jesus himself is required in order for us to get to heaven. And so our husbands may, you know, if they are involved in church, may be thinking, well, I'm doing all these religious things. And so, you know, just because I've got all this stuff going on, it still makes me okay with God. And that is not the truth. Number 14, there's hope for the repentant. Now, it's really important that we see this because, you know, like I'm, I'm not down on, on addicts. I'm not here to beat them up. Uh, I'm not a man hater. And I, I don't think that helps anybody. Because God doesn't feel that way. And God wants all of us to repent. And that there is hope for those who choose that. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Now, I know sometimes we can get very discouraged because we can see a spouse who... They leave us. They get together with another person. They seem to be really doing well. They say that they're happy finally, that they're maybe they're even doing well financially. And we get discouraged and we feel abandoned by God because it's like, God, don't you see what they're doing? Why are you blessing them? I want to encourage you to read the Psalms because that was what was going on with David over and over and over again. And, And you can share his heart and you can lament with him and see how God rectified those situations. But he says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper. And, and, and those who can, if our spouses are unrepentant and they're staying in their sin, eventually it will come back to them. Number 15, we are accountable individually. All right, Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. So all the promises that they keep, you may have a spouse who's like, um, you know, I'm going to try, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'll do this. I'm really sorry, but there's no repentance there. We're going to be accountable for that. Every single, the word that comes out of our mouths, we're, we're going to be accountable to God for that. So we have to be very careful. James 1, it says, be slow, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And we're talking about us now. But our spouses are going to be held accountable for every single thing that comes out of their mouth. Number 16, God judges fairly and perfectly. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. That God doesn't just see the actions. He sees the heart. He sees the motivation. He sees what was going on in the mind. He perfectly judges. He is the only one who can perfectly judge ourselves or our spouses. Number 17, the unrepentant hate the truth. And it says in Matthew 7, 6, and this is what I, I want to encourage us as spouses. What, what tends to happen is we can uh, go after our spouses and like show them scriptures and, and call them to change and call them to be different. And what ends up happening is they throw it back in our face or they scream at us or whatever. So it says in Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this word I... I 
asterisk here, dogs and pigs. So dogs, in the original Greek, this word is kuon, and it's basically a spiritual predator who feeds off others, a person with an impure mind. That's what, G, that's what the context of that word is throughout the New Testament. So when Jesus would say, you know, do not give your dogs, he's not calling people dogs. And I'm not calling your spouse a dog. But what happens is that's a metaphor for somebody who has an impure mind, who doesn't really want to change it, and who, who literally feeds off of others uh, with their sin. And, and, and then the word uh, pigs is the word koros. And, and that basically is also an impure mind. Uh, I mean, sorry, an impure animal, and it was to the Jews. The Jews looked at as as pigs, as swine. They were unclean. You know, you did not raise pigs. You did not have pigs. You did not eat bacon or pork or anything because they were considered unclean animals. So if you call somebody with a pig, that was like unclean. So the the unclean, the impure, the unrepentant, they hate the truth. And if you throw it at them, they will spit it back in your face and it says they will come and trample you. So please don't waste your breath. Don't waste your energy. Don't get yourself all hyped up that you can make a difference in transforming your husband when he's unrepentant. If you can't do it, if they didn't, if Jesus couldn't do it with people, then why would we think that we can do it with an unrepentant spouse? All right. Number 18, truth cannot be suppressed. So in Romans 1.18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, truth cannot be suppressed. It's going to come out one way or another. God is, the truth is stronger than lies. God is more powerful than Satan. Satan is the father of lies. And so we may have spouses who are trying to suppress the truth. You ask them questions and they deflect. You ask them questions like, where were you? What you were doing? What were you watching on your phone? Who were you talking to? And they suppress the truth by throwing something out at you, by, you know, by manipulate. Why do you keep bothering me? I don't even have my own privacy. So they're trying to suppress the truth because they love their wickedness, because they want to stay in their sin. So we have to keep that in mind that we, we can't keep pursuing them with that. Number 19, the unrepentant plot in vain. Psalm 2, verse 1, and then verses 4 and 5 says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And so our, our, our spouse, you know, unrepentant, is plotting all the different ways that they want to do things. In their own mind, they're figuring out a way. And they don't realize that they're fighting against God. It's not even us. They are fighting against God. Their battle is not really with us. It's not with uh, our family. It's not with anybody. It's their primary battle is with God, and they are plotting in vain. They will not get away with their plan. And number 20, the unrepentant can't submit to God. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. The mind is governed by the mind governed by the flesh is spiritual death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. So when we are fighting so hard to try to convince our spouse why they need to change, you know, we're communicating to them about how God feels about what they're doing. Says, the Bible says that they can't submit because they have chosen to be unrepentant. 
that they that they are hostile to God, that they are against God, they are battling against God. It's not about us. So they can't submit to God's law because in their mind, they are controlled by their pornography, their uh, adultery. They are controlled by that. Uh, number 21, uh, we need to wait on God's perfect timing instead of striving so hard to make this happen in our time frame for our spouses to repent. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. So we need to stay in the scriptures, stay focused on what God wants for us to do. We need to wait on God's timing for you know, how he's going to work out the details. Psalm 4610 was, was the scripture that I just repeated to myself over and over and over again when my husband and I were separated. I actually had it on my bathroom wall. And it, um, and it basically says that, that God is God, that I, it is not about me and, and how, I'm, how I need to control things. I need to sit back and let God do what he's going to do. I am not God. He is God. All right. Number 22, sin always catches up with us. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5:24, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. So one way or another, it is going to catch up with them. They can't run from it forever. Number 23, God's love equals God's discipline. And this is to encourage us. Revelations 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So when God is allowing us to go through discipline, he's like a father. He's being gentle. He is, he is trying to get us to choose to do the right thing. And so when he rebukes us and he disciplines us, it's him guiding us, guiding us toward making those right decisions. So eventually God is going to discipline and allow our husbands to fall into the consequences, to suffer the consequences of their sinful actions. And that is the way that God's loving them into changing. Uh, number 24, God disciplines us for a very specific reason, so that we can be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So all the consequences that our husbands may suffer, as challenging and difficult as they may eventually be, it's good and it's what God wants for them because he wants them to change. This life is so short. We are a mess for here for a short time and then we're God, but we're going to live in eternity either with God or we're going to choose to suffer major consequences uh, of destruction. And so it's so important that we see the way that God sees all of this and that, that God's disciplining us now because he's seeing what's going to be in the future. And all of these I share so that we can get to number 25. And that is, is that we must assume responsibility for ourselves. So uh, in um, Luke 13, 1 through 5, it says, Now there were some present, this is when Jesus was talking to some of the disciples at the time, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So he, it was, it was the, a time where 
uh, Pilate, they had been offering sacrifices to their gods, and they took some of the people from Galilee and they murdered them, and they took the blood and they mixed it with the sacrifices for it. And so that was considered an abomination. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. Uh, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. So this was, there was a big tower, and so a bunch of people must have died when it fell. So this was something people were talking about. He says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? But I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what we have to see here is these people are coming to Jesus and they're like, well, did these people, were these people worse because these bad things happened to them? And he's like, no, you know, you know everybody sins. We've all sinned. Now, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we've all sinned, then we all need to repent. So we can't be so obsessed and so addicted to our spouse and trying to fix our marriage that we don't work on ourselves. There are areas of our life, there are areas of our character that we have hurt God in with our sin, especially when we get so obsessed on our marriage that we put God on the back burner. We put God's standard on the back burner because we're so focused on, on our marriage and our marriage actually becomes more important than God. And that's not the way God, marriage is a created thing and we can't worship it any more than we, we can worship our spouse or any other relationship that we have. So there are areas of our character that we too have to repent in. So what is the solution? Here's the problem. Here's the 25 reasons we, we should not be obsessing over our spouse and trying to work 24 seven to fix our marriage, right? So what is the solution? We have to choose to let God confront our spouse on their sin while we focus on our own healing. And I really want to encourage you to go back over and study out these scriptures. I want you to build your own convictions. These are my convictions. And I can talk until the cows come home or the moon turns blue or whatever, but it won't make a difference in your life unless you study these things out for yourself and build your own convictions on them. Now, most ladies try to navigate recovery like a solo journey into unfamiliar territory. And if they have a map, it helps, but they'll still probably hit a few dead ends, take some lengthy detours, and they never really end up where they intended. You know, they run into roadblocks, um, maybe that aren't even on the map, or um, some other obstacle, but they may or may not get to their, you know, their intended destination. If they do arrive, it's usually it takes way longer and costs way more than they planned. So the best way to embark on a journey is with a few other travelers moving in the same direction and doing it with a guide and someone who knows where the dangers are, who knows where the pitfalls are, who knows how to avoid the obstacles, where the best place to resupply, and then to walk alongside you and help you find the levelest paths and really ultimately the most breathtaking views. So if you're tired of doing the recovery journey all alone and you're looking for a safe community of other ladies to walk with and guide you through the terrain ahead, then I want to encourage you to go ahead and schedule a call with me. 
go to hopeforspouses.com slash call. Again, that's hopeforspouses.com slash call. We'll get on the phone, talk for about 45 minutes to an hour, give you time to just really be heard, share your story, and then help you have some clarity and give you some biblical guidance so that you really can move forward on your journey. Okay, well, that's it for this episode of the Hope for Spouses Lunchtime Live. I'm Kim Pullen. I'll see you next time.